Hey, I'm going to preach this morning just for a little bit, and I want to do something completely different that I haven't done before. And no, it's not interpretive dance. Um, I love you too much. No, no, I love you too much to do that. Um, so please don't ever expect that. And there'll be no flags. There'll be no, eh, God forbid, any of that sort of stuff. But we're going to continue on our, um, on our series of The Standard. And bless you. When Jesus becomes the standard for our life, we become disciples. We become followers of Jesus. We cannot say that um, by, by word alone, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. We've got to actually do it, and we do it by making him the standard, which means dropping our standards of what we think is acceptable, what we think is moral, what we think is right, what we think is the, the best way. Um, because if I look across this room, if all of us, this is our anarchy in shoes, right? Anarchy happens when, when there is no standard, when there's no rules to live by, when everybody lives by their own ideologies and, and, and preferences. That's how anarchy just bursts out. And if I look across this room, most of us would have our own ideas of how life should be lived, of, of, of morality and things like that. And if we were all left to our own devices, it would not be pretty. It would be just like a dog's breakfast. But that's the beauty of Jesus. He came to make, well, he's the way. He is the truth. He, he is the life and when he becomes the standard then the kingdom uh, that God promised in heaven to be on earth will actually start to outwork when we follow his way of living this life and living it well. So in order to understand that we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 5, 6 and 7. What did Jesus actually teach about how life works and the kingdom of God here on this earth? So we get to a point in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20, and this could be one of those things um, that if you're reading through Scripture, you might just jump over because you go, that's just going to be put that in the too hard basket. I don't really understand the nuances of that particular statement, so I'm going to leave that to the side. So today, I want to do you a bit of a favor and help you out with this passage, and hopefully we'll continue on this pathway of freedom that God has for us this morning. Now, we're going to do a little bit of work. If you have a Bible, um, make sure you grab it, open it up right now. If you've got a screen, you can scroll through. But I want us to be active participants in what God would want to do this morning. So we're going to start in Matthew 5. Then we're going to jump to another passage of Scripture. Then we're going to have a little bit of fun. And you guys are going to help me preach this morning. I'm not going to do it by myself. We're going to do it collectively together. So Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 17 to 20. Here we go. Jesus says... Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter, enter the kingdom of heaven. I can already see eyes glazed over. What the heck is he even talking about? Well, should we pray? Yes, we should. Lord, in this moment, at this, at this point of the service, as we open up your word to... Um, Teach it, expound it, and, and, and dig into the truth you have for us. Lord, I pray you would open our eyes to see, give our hearts, uh, make us prepared to receive what you have for us this morning. Lord, I pray that I would get out of the way so that you can flow through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Three key terms I want to look at in this particular passage. At the very start, in verse 17, um, 
Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So three words we'll look at and define them, and then we're going to go into a bit of practical stuff. So the law, the prophets, and fulfill. They're the three words we'll look at. The law, the prophets, fulfill. First of all, what are the law and the prophets? Well, combined together, they're the Old Testament, purely and simple. That's what the law and the prophets are. Law, prophets together, that's our Old Testament. Everything in the Bible from the creation of everything all the way through to the arrival of Jesus, uh, and that's when the New Testament starts, Matthew, all the way through the Revelation. Um, that first half or first two-thirds of the Bible, that is the law and the prophets that Jesus is referring to. These are the scriptures that he used. Don't forget Jesus didn't have Acts or Romans or 1 Corinthians or the letter of Ephesians. He didn't have any of this. His scriptures were... Genesis all the way through to Micah. That's all he had. He had the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Malachi, I should say. Um, so what is the law? Well, the law was broken into three compartments. There was the, the moral aspect, there was the judicial aspect, and there was the ceremonial aspect. So the moral aspect of the law, the Old Testament law that God gave to his people, the nation of Israel, the first point of the law, which is this moral, is we find in the Ten Commandments. Most of us know, if, even if you're not a Christian, been to church before, most of us will be aware of the Ten Commandments. Okay, They're the basic moral guidelines that God has given his people to live this life well. The second component of the law, which is where a lot of people get hung up on, is the judicial. Now, this is like the, the, the legislation of how to live life well, what, what to do, what not to do, um, what is right, what is wrong. These are the, the legislative um, requirements that God put on his people at that particular time. And the third part of the law is ceremonial. These are things like uh, worship in the temple, the sacrifice of animals, and those sorts of things regarding the, the, the faith that they had in God. So... That's, that's the law, three components. The prophets that Jesus is talking about here is the, the books of the Old Testament where they would teach and interpret the law and also foresee or foretell the coming Messiah. So that's the prophets. So the prophets would then unpack and teach about the law. They would reveal it. They would correct and rebuke people if necessary. And also they would foretell the coming Messiah. So that's the law and the prophets. I'm, I'm giving you a very brief and fast overview third word I'll look at is fulfill. Now fulfill here is not um, finished off or completed or added to that, that the law was up until Jesus arrived and Jesus added a little bit to it and finished it off and tick, the law is done. It's talking about the, the carrying out of or everything has been said and stated. Oh, sorry, it's the carrying out of everything that has been said and stated in the law and the prophets. So everything in the law all the, the moral, judicial, and ceremonial things, all the stuff that the prophets said, um, uh, ha culminates in Christ. It's the fulfillment of all of them. It's the most extravagant and outlandish and stupendous claim that Jesus ever made. That everything the nation of Israel ever believed and followed was, was, was culminated and, and, and finalized in him. No wonder they put him to death. No wonder they got angry with him. No wonder he ruffled religious feathers. So when we read Matthew 15 to 17, especially when it talks about in 19 and 20, whoever relaxes one of these laws, whoever adds one of these laws, all these stuff like that, and we can take that as a license to, to jump headlong into religion, 
But this passage is not about us. This passage is about Jesus, who, who is the culmination of all the law and the prophets fulfilled in him. So this passage is all about Jesus. So here's what I'll do now. I want to jump into Romans chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, jump with me to Romans chapter 8. This is where we start to have a little bit of fun. This is where I, I, I will use God's word to breathe life and strength into your soul and into your spirit. Because we're going to see now what Jesus has fulfilled in the law and the prophets and then what now that means for us on the other side of that fulfillment. So we're going to start with Romans chapter 8, verse 3 to 4, because Paul will then um, solidify what we've just discussed about Matthew uh, chapter 5. He says in verse, uh, where are we going from? Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a human, and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to our flesh but according to the Spirit. Christ has fulfilled the law. We couldn't do it in our own strength. We couldn't do it because we are finite people. The nation of Israel couldn't do it because they're imperfect. So Jesus came. God sent his only son in the world because he loved us. So he would be the fulfillment of that law and the righteous requirements would be made complete in him. So... Here's what we're going to do. You got Romans 8? We're going to do a little experiment that um, I did about three or four weeks ago in our Understanding the Bible short course on a Wednesday lunchtime where we got this whole chapter, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to tiptoe through it. All right? And we're going, to, we're going to break it down into three categories. The first category is what has God done? The second category is who we are. Who are we? And the third category is what do we have? What has God done? Who are we? What do we have? And by, by the, the sheer beauty of magic, we've got three pages on the wall, each with one of those categories aligned on top. How beautiful is that? It just, just happens. The, the magic of theatre, isn't it wonderful? Um, so Catherine's going to help us. So as we go through, I want us to sort of look at each passage verse by verse, and figure out which category they fall into. And the lovely Catherine, um, who, who reminds me a lot of like Will of Fortune, the, you know, Adriana Exanitas, she's going to turn the numbers, it be wonderful. Um, and we're going to make a, a three lists compiled by Romans 8. So this is where you come in, right? It's not just me, we're going to do it together. So Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no condemnation. What has gone down, what who we are, what we have. Let's go, what we have, verse 1, last category, last category, what we have. Yep, you're going to be jumping back and forth, so you're going to get very excited. So it's right, verse 1, no condemnation. Yes, good. All right. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. You've been set free. Who did that? You? God did that. So, next one, Catherine, jump over to the, verse, uh, the first one. What has God done? Verse 2, set you free. Set us free. In Christ Jesus, from the law and sin of sin and death. So, uh, you're going to be running now. So, back over to the third one. So, just write v, V2. Freedom from sin and death. Freedom from sin and death. Yep. 
Verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So verse 3 is he sent his son in the flesh to condemn sin. So that's what God has done, right? So verse 2, verse 3 of what has God done? Yep, sent his son in the flesh to condemn sin. Sounds so heavy, doesn't it? I love it. Brutal. Brutal. In the flesh to condemn sin. Yep. You're going to run out of paper. That's going to be awesome. Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So verse 4. Fulfilled the law. What has God done? He's fulfilled the law. All the requirements, all the ceremonial law, all the, 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 the legislation, all the stuff that God has put, God fulfilled that in Jesus. In us who walk according to the flesh, but according to, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their, their minds on the things of the spirit. So, so verse 5, we have life in the Spirit. So that's what we have. Third category, verse 5, we have life in the Spirit. Yep. For those who live according to the flesh, right? those who live according to the Spirit, we have life in the Spirit. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So what do we have? We have life and peace. Verse 6. Verse 7. For the mind is set on the host or the flesh is hostile to God. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. There we go. Uh, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But we're not in the flesh, right? We are now in the spirit. So therefore, we can please God. So verse 8. Um, where are we? Um, who we are? We are pleasing to God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, right? In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 9. So what do we have? Spirit of God dwelling in us. Number three. Category 3, verse 9, Spirit of God dwelling in us. I told you we're going to do some work this morning. It's heavy lifting. You know, when you go to the gym and you lift weights, um, like I have once in my life before, um, from what I remember, you feel strong afterwards. Um, so this morning we're going to lift some spiritual weight and, and the goal is that we would feel stronger afterwards. Anyone, who's, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So verse 11, what has God done? He's given life to our bodies. Through his spirit who dwells in you.
So good. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are dead as not to the flesh according to live by the flesh, but for you are according... For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. What has God done? He has adopted us as children. Verse 15. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Who are we? Verse uh, 16, we are children of God. Yep, beautiful. And if children, we are heirs. So verse 17, of what do we have? We have an inheritance. It makes sense, right? If you're an heir to an estate, you have an inheritance. That's what being an heir means. You cannot be an heir and not have an inheritance. You're just a person. Um, but verse 617 says that we have an inheritance. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So not only that, but also in who we are, verse 17, Catherine, is we are heirs with Christ. Verse 17 in the middle. Yep, it's, it's two. It's two. It's, yeah, it goes in both categories. So verse 17, heirs with Christ. Yeah. She's doing really well, by the way. There's a lot to get through Romans 8. Um, yeah. And this is not how we would normally teach in this church. This is, this is just more of a practical thing, but um, I'm building a case as we get through. Verse 18, For I consider the suffering of this present time not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed in us. What do we have? Verse 18, Glory that awaits us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willing, but because of him who rejected us, who subjected it in hope. Man, I'm dyslexic today. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage and corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So what do we have? We have the first fruits of the Spirit. What we have? Yep, what we have. Verse 23, first fruits of the Spirit. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. What has God done? Verse 28. Or verse 27, Spirit intercedes for us. What has God done? Verse 27, God intercedes for us. Yep. Verse 28, and we know that for all those, for those who love God, all things work together for good. What do we have? Verse 28, all things working together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So who are we? Jump over to the second category. Who are we? Verse 28, called according to his purpose. That's who we are. Yep. So yep, called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son. So verse 29 what has God done? Predestined us. 
in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, who are we? We are called, justified, and glorified. In verse 30. You guys had a good week? You doing all right? Hanging in there? Not doing too bad? It's the first time I've done a corporate Bible study. It's a little... A lot more awkward than I anticipated, but um, we'll bring it home. We'll bring it home. I just figured because it's such heavy lifting, you know, it's good to have a spotter. And so, um, so if you guys are going to lift heavy spiritual scripture stuff, I'll, I just want to here to spot you. That's all I'm doing, just spotting you. So just keep pushing, keep pushing. You're doing great. More reps, yep. Verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, so verse 31. What we have, God's approval. Who can be against us? God's protection. So we have God's approval and we have God's protection. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us. So verse 32, what has God done? Given us his son. Verse 32. So good. How will he not also be with him who graciously gives us all things? What do we have? Verse 32, all things. God's given us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So who are we? Verse 33, we are justified. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So, verse 34, what has God done? Sent Jesus to death, resurrection, and now intercession. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What do we have? Verse 35, God's love. Shall tribulation or distress, this is where we went before earlier in the service, or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Who are we? Verse 37, more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Not because we're awesome, not because we're talented, but because he loved us. Now we live loved, which means we live more than conquerors. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things nor present, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pause. We'll leave that up there. Well done. Can we thank Catherine and Emmy? Um, so good. Like we need to just corporately breathe for a little bit. So, Matthew 5, verse 70 to 20. Leave it there, leave it there. That's fine. We'll just, yeah, I'll change my mind. We can just leave that up there. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. All the stuff that God had instructed humanity, His chosen people, to live by. 
This is why Jesus is such a big deal. He's a game changer. This is, he just shifts everything. He didn't come to abolish that, say that's all, that's all rubbish. No, no, no. Because that's what he lived by as a Jewish person. He lived by the law. He lived by these, these, the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets. And so he didn't come to then disregard everything that, that God had established with his people. He came to be the climax and the, the culmination of all those things and be the once and for all fulfiller of those things and then bringing in a new way, a new covenant with God's people that would reconcile humanity to God once and for all, that there is no longer this need for animals to die and sacrifices to happen, that there's no longer a mediator that, that sits in the temple between God and man, that Jesus is that mediator, that when we come to him, we get access to God the Father and all that stuff is done away with because of what Jesus has done in the fulfilling of the law, which is why he upset so many people and they nailed him to a cross. But look, for you and I, 2,000 years later, the truth that the, the Christian church has held onto for millennia is still alive and true for today. And we are the remnants of the church in, in the past that is still building on the truth of what God has done. So let's look at this. Let's look at this. As we bring these three categories into line, what has God done? God has set you free in Christ. God has sent his son in the flesh to condemn sin. God has fulfilled the law. God has given life to our mortal bodies. God has adopted us as sons. God is interceding for us. His spirit is interceding for all of us and working all things together for our good. What has God done? He has predestined us. He has given us his son. He has sent Jesus, his son, to death, resurrection, and now intercession to pray for you and I as he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's what God's done. I didn't read that in Romans 8. Well, it's all there. We just went through it. We just put in categories to help us understand. So that's what God's done. So then who are we now? We can define ourselves by our fears. We can define ourselves by our past. We can define ourselves by our preferences or by what the world tells us we should be. But when we understand what God has done for us, then we shift how we define ourselves. And this is now who we are if we follow after God. We're free. We're fulfillers of the law when we live in the Spirit. We're pleasing to God when we live in the Spirit. We are God's children. We are heirs to God's kingdom. We are called according to His purpose. We are conformed into the image of the Son. We are called. We are justified. We are glorified. We are more than conquerors. Are you starting to feel a little bit stronger? Are the weights starting to work? Are you starting to get a little bit more ripped in your spirit? Has your spirit man taken off its shirt and is just flexing around, showing off what it has? That's a metaphor, not literal. Please don't do that. God has done amazing things, which changes who we now are. Now, knowing who we are, let's look at what we have. We have no condemnation. We have freedom from sin and death. We have life in the spirit. We have life and peace. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We have life in our mortal bodies. We have an inheritance. God's glory in heaven awaits us. We have the first fruits of His Spirit. We have hope. 
We have the Spirit's help in times of our weakness. We have all things working together for our good. We have God's approval. We have God's protection. We have all things. We have justification. We have the love of God and nothing can separate us from it. That's what we have. How good is that? That, like, when you get that, that changes everything. And one of the most powerful things through all of this, which I think that, that if we're really honest with ourselves, we probably forget that we have this one. And when we realize we have this one, then man, it changes everything. Just got to find where it is, that's all. Verse 9. We have the Spirit of God working in us, dwelling in us. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us because of what God has done and because we now, who we now are as a result of what he has done. His presence now lives in us. His power is now in us. Now, if we actually believed that, like if we, if we move that knowledge from here down to here, how would that change the way we live? How would that change the way we think? How would that change the way we interact with people? How would that change the way we, we love others and, and show generosity? How would that change the way we, we deal with our kids, the way we deal with our spouses, the way we deal with our finances, the way we deal with our health? That we are a temple that God's presence dwells in because Jesus fulfilled the law which flesh in its weakness could not do but now because of what Jesus has done the fulfillment of the law is now found in us because the completed work of the cross is now active in us because God's spirit dwells within us that truth changes everything that is why Jesus can say I am the way I am the truth I am the life because of everything he has done and when Jesus becomes the standard, we become disciples. And when we become disciples, we realize what God's done, who we are, and what we have, and that dramatically shifts our entire life, both here on this earth and the life that is to come forever with him. And so my whole point this morning for this exercise that was a little bit laborious and long, thank you for staying with me. I want you to walk out this morning feeling 10 foot tall in your spirit. I want you this morning to not come in and feeling like, oh, this religion thing's trying to get on me and, and, and restrict me and bind me. I want you to consciously shake off any idea of religiosity and live in the fulfillment and the freedom that comes with following Jesus. I want you to make Jesus the standard, which means that you get to enjoy all these things and be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So we can leave that on the wall. You can go read that later. That's just pure scripture. That's not me meddling with stuff. That's not me messing with God's word and, and contorting it. That's just me reorganizing it so we understand it. So good. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for how radical and crazy you were. That you would make these claims that would just rattle religious cages and offend people and challenge people but it's all for the outworking of your kingdom here on this earth. It's all for us to enjoy the life that you've called us to live, that we'd be reconciled back to you. And Lord, in this moment, 
I don't know everybody here. I don't know where their circumstances, their situation. But I want to give an opportunity for anyone right now who's never made a conscious decision to follow Jesus, to make him the standard. Maybe they've never realized who God is and what, what he's done for us. Maybe you, you've tried to live this life in your own strength and figure it out with your own intellect. And Maybe this morning it's finally made sense. Maybe your truth about life isn't actually the truth. And this morning as we talked about what Jesus has done, the truth about life and eternity has been activated in your spirit. And maybe there's a knocking on your door, the door of your heart this morning where God's saying, hey, let me in. I want to come dwell in you. I want to come change, radically change your life for the better. I want all things to work together for good in your life. But that starts with opening up the door of our heart, crossing that line of faith, repenting of our sin and choosing to follow Jesus. And is anybody here this morning that wants to make that decision for the very first time? Would you just pray this prayer with me? Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, this morning, I thank you for life. The life that you bring. The life that you give. This morning, I choose to receive that life. I walk away from my sin. I walk away from my selfishness. And I choose to receive your grace today. I choose to receive your love today. I choose to to know that all things are made new. I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd love to chat with you after the service. I'm not going to make it awkward and bring you up the front or anything like that. I just want to chat with you. Um, Nine out of ten people say I'm a pretty nice guy, so um, chances are it's going to go well for you. but just come and grab me. I'd love to chat more about that or anything going on in your world. I'd love just to pray with you after the service, but I know what you're thinking. Man, it's time for coffee. I get, I get that. I get that. I'm like that most days. But I don't leave those things on the wall for you as you grab your coffee, as you grab conversations. Go and read those things. Go and remind yourself. Take a photo of it if you want. Make it your wallpaper on your phone. I don't really care, but um, all I want is for you to walk out of here feeling like a spiritual giant feeling like the kind of person that God sent his son on the cross to die for, to, 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 to you to enter into that new space of faith and living, and that ultimately we would walk out here this morning and live loved. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joey.